Welcome to the Financial MD Show. This is the only podcast designed specifically for residents and young physicians to help you become educated on financial planning for physicians and avoid many of the common financial mistakes doctors make. Your hosts, John and Trevor, explore a different topic with each episode. John Salitro is a financial planner and certified financial education instructor. He's been working with young physicians for the better part of a decade and lectures to graduate medical programs around the country. Dr. Trevor Smith is a board-certified ophthalmologist with a full-time practice, and he has learned the ins and outs firsthand, what it takes to make smart financial decisions as a young physician. And now, here's your hosts, John and Trevor. Happy New Year to you all. Well, it's wonderful for you to see us again and hear us again, (laughs) whether you're listening on your podcast audio or video. Welcome again to the Financial MD Show. We're so excited to be continuing and jumping into 2022. How's it going, Trevor? Going great, man. Among the COVID positive, so that's good. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. on the other side of it and uh, get to look forward to not worrying about getting other people COVID, you know? That's right. It's kind of nice. The not knowing is half the the terror or the frustration or the whatever. I mean, my whole family has pretty much had it now. So it's like we can just go anywhere and do anything we want now. You know, it's that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. The new year brings, you know, gifts and and new forms. Good. Your holidays were good. The holidays were great. Yeah. I got to do a little uh little Florida trip. It's not where I got the COVID, contrary mm-hmm. to what people would probably guess. <laughs> Uh, was a local local brew, but uh, yeah, so I had a good holiday. Got to um, get a little bit of warmth um, pre holidays. I got to do a trip to Jamaica, do some surgery down there. Really good December, and uh, January is kicking off. Pretty busy already. Yeah. How about you? Oh, uh, we had a crazy time on the twenty first of December. We flew down to Florida with me and wife and four kids, and uh, spent a week in Fort Myers. During that week. We flew up to Orlando, just my wife and I, to see some friends for dinner overnight. Stayed there, came back in the morning. And Mm -hmm. then we flew from Fort Myers to Austin, Texas. Did five days there with some friends and their kids. And then uh, flew back to Michigan. So in all, I counted it. My wife and I were on six planes over the course of two weeks. Wow. That's that's a lot of planes. It was just like... Surprised you didn't go down. Yeah. It's lucky, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, got a lot of miles, but used a lot of credits. And I did mm-hmm. a TikTok video in the airport about using airline miles and doing all that kind of thing. But Grand Rapids Airport, by the way, has massage chairs while you wait five bucks for like 10 or 20 minutes. I was like, nice. So a little plug for Grand Rapids Airport. Love it. I'll have to check that out. I go through there all the time. I've never noticed the massage chairs. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when you get to, let's see, you go through security and you can basically go left to right. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the left, those gates, you'll go up the hallway, take a right, and then you start to get into the gates. Right before you get into kind of the gates section on your left, there's about four of these massage chairs. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Now, now worth it. Check it out. Other than that, nothing too new or noteworthy. Life is good. Today, I thought we'd focus on how we talk about real estate in terms of financial planning and what kind of a an allocation or a, a piece of your financial picture does it take and when is the right time to do that what kind of ways there are to do that and we could spend several episodes on this so we'll just kind of do some quick overview it may lead to a part two or three or etc but in general i get this question especially when our intendings are 
getting to that point where they're doing well. In fact, I just had this conversation with, I have a couple that's, they're both anesthesiologists. They're in Nevada and they're killing it in terms of saving. I love this couple because they are, you know, making a high six figure income and are a one of them's in the military. So a lot of things are cheap, their daycare, their housing, like all that kind of stuff. They've got two kids and they've kept their life pretty reasonable and have an enormous surplus that they're saving. And we've figured out sorts of tax free ways. I mean, I think they're saving a couple hundred thousand a year pre-tax wow. due to some you know, self-employed business owner type of loopholes and things, which is another conversation for another time. But all that to say, they are well funding their retirement to when we have these every six month reviews and like we did yesterday. And I said, okay, they're like, how are we doing towards retirement savings? And I'm like, you guys probably no surprise to you that you're like well over hundred percent on track for your goal. You can basically retire a lot earlier than you planned on, or you can plan on a lot more money in retirement than we had originally planned on. But either way, you're doing kind of all the normal stuff. You're putting into mutual funds and stocks and IRAs and 401ks and defined benefit plans and blah, blah, blah. Then they're saving in a regular brokerage account and they're you know doing all the stuff. I said, this is about the time when we start having the conversation about diversifying more when we're as diversified as we can be in an investment account and they're very stable and have checked all the boxes. Otherwise, how much should we put into something outside of the normal? You might call them alternative investments. Okay. And everybody's got a different concept of what that means. But for our conversation today, I said, have you thought about investing in real estate? And they said, yeah, you know, we've kind of thought about that, but we didn't know how, and it sounds really complicated of buying property. And again, I think I did a, a video on this a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago about the different ways to get involved in real estate. And there's the ways that everybody expects or knows how, as far as you buy a house, you rent it out, you manage it, they call you when the toilet clogs or all that kind of stuff. And that's investing in real estate, quote unquote. Then there's the other end of the spectrum where you're basically just buying real estate funds in your investment accounts. Okay. And we do a little bit of that anyway. And then there's kind of this middle ground where if you're an accredited investor, which means basically last I checked, you're making a couple hundred thousand a year consistently, or you have a net worth of at least a million dollars, then you can invest in these real estate what would you call them, Trevor? Syndications? It's a fund, but it's not like a mutual fund. It's a private fund. It's a hedge fund. It's a real estate fund. So you're actually giving your money and a lot of these minimums are at least 50 to $100,000. And this company like Cadre, you may have heard of, Fundrise, CrowdStreet. Is that another one? There's a bunch of them like this now. I could, I'll, we'll post a list of, uh, I think there's 15 to 20 that we just, I found an article that was listing all of them, but you get actual... It's called a limited partnership essentially. And so you get some shares and you can actually pick the actual property or project that you're investing in. Might be apartment building or commercial. And then you get a benefit from the investment growing. Okay, so the value of it grows, which helps you when you go to sell that investment one day. But the other benefit is you get monthly rent. So you participate in the monthly rent from the project. And there's different types of that. Some that are more focused on rent, some more focused on just the, what they call capital appreciation. But those are kind of offhand a few of the ways. Anything to add to that, Trevor? Real estate has definitely not been something I've looked into too much. The only thing that I've read a little bit about was REITs, the real mm -hmm. estate trusts. And I've read 
a handful of articles, just enough to know that I was not really at the point where I wanted to do that yet, but there's just, there's owning and then there's sort of like somebody else owns it and manages it. And it's almost like just a stock version of real estate. Right. That's like a REIT. And so there's more tax benefits on the direct ownership side. There's more responsibility. There's more headache. And then the other end of the REIT is it's like the least amount of headache, the least amount of tax benefits, least amount of work, but still a decent amount of returns. And I don't know if they've been like a lot higher, but I feel like the returns I tend to hear about for REITs is like 10 to 13%, kind of what like aggressive stock portfolios used to return. And then maybe up into, if you're getting lucky and you're picking a really hot one, maybe it gets up into like the upper teens or like low twenties Yeah. and individual stuff that's, and that's more like they own tons of stuff. So you also get the benefit of the diverse portfolio of real estate versus if you buy the house down the street and you're like the landlord, if your local area tanks, you know, you might get a minus 10%, you might get like a loss yeah. on it. But if your local area goes crazy, then you get like 30, 40% return. Yeah. And you can pay a lot of taxes on it if you want to flip it because you can hold it for a year or whatever. Yeah. But those are the pros and cons that I like. And those are on the extremes. And then there's like all these different real estate vehicles kind of in between those two. And I read about them and I was like, it sounds fine, but I'm good. So that's not my yeah. thing. It's like it will be at some point my thing. It's just... I really like to know everything about the entire breadth of a spectrum of something. Mm-hmm. So I kind of understand the pros and cons on the ends. And I would probably go more towards a REIT because I'm mobile and I'm single and I don't want to have to like stay in an area or give up a substantial percentage of profits to hire somebody else. And yeah, I'm like a hands-on for my kind of person. I like to have like the control. Yep. I don't like to be limited. So location wise, real estate has not been something of interest for me, mm-hmm. but it's incredibly powerful. And I've, I've definitely missed out on growing my net worth because of that. Yep. But I knew that when I, you know, kind of got out of it. I'm also missing out on like any sort of substantial drawdowns. We haven't had any. So right now it just looks like I'm missing out on all the wins and all the profits. Yeah, no. I have buddies that have like two houses from residency, you know, almost like that military thing where people move around, they buy one and then they rent it out and they yeah. kind of build thing. Yeah. And when the market's going like vertical, everyone's a genius, right? Oh, right. But it's my two cents on it. That's what I know, a surfacey level of, of pros yep. and cap. Yeah. And I'd say that's that's about right. And I think most people, if they want to get into real estate, should probably start with these REITs and especially these publicly traded REITs that are exchange traded funds, essentially. So a real estate investment trust is that you're buying a share of a real estate company or project and you do often get some monthly income from it, but the tax benefits aren't as much as if you bought directly or directly invested in the project. But that's good because you don't want the, the liability and sometimes the minimum investments to get into the other things. So the REITs are good. You get to experience that. You can get some monthly income, experience the growth, and just having that diversification in your account so that if you've got all stocks and mutual funds here that are pretty much all equities, maybe some bonds and stuff, but no real estate, having a little bit, let's say five to 10% real estate gives you that diversification. And a lot of stuff that I've seen, now granted, this is from real estate guys that say real estate has, you know, beaten the market over time, maybe, but it's worth looking into, especially when you factor in rent and capital appreciation or the growth in the value of the actual investment. When you add those together, you could definitely make an argument that it could beat the stock market over time. But either way, it's a what you call a non-correlated asset. 
So something that if the market goes up and down, often you'll see bonds go the opposite way. Market goes down, bonds goes up, vice versa. With real estate, it's not so correlated. And when you're doing investment analysis, which none of you probably are, but when a money manager is doing investment analysis, you're looking at things like beta, which are the number that is, or you guys probably know some of this from stats and undergrad, correlation coefficient right? You're looking at R squared to see if it's one, then these two things are perfectly correlated. One goes up, the other goes up by the same amount. If they're negative one, they're perfectly correlated, but in opposite directions. One goes up, the other one goes down in the exact same amount. If they're zero, then there's completely no relation. One could go up, the other one could do nothing or it could go up or down. You know, it's just, there's no relation. So the stock market and real estate probably have a not exactly zero, but closer than bonds or international stocks or, you know, other things like that. So that's mm -hmm. something to keep in mind too. That's just whatever you do, real estate will help you diversify your investments. And again, there's lots of ways to do that. So I have one example I can talk about personally, and I'll give you my real estate history. I first really learned about it when I was in high school. And during my summers, I lived in East Lansing or near East Lansing. And my best friend in high school, his dad owned probably eight to 10 houses in East Lansing and kind of the student ghetto where it was, every house was rented by students. There were families here and there, but it was pretty much, that was what it was. And they were getting great rent from these houses. And now he took care of them really well. Me and my best friend and our other friend would work there during the summers. We do kind of the turnovers and when we weren't doing the turnovers, we were painting, cleaning, refinishing floors, like just doing all that. We saw some really gross stuff. We saw some really cool things that we weren't allowed to see normally. And we saw some, just how that whole system worked. And I was like, that's interesting. I didn't think too much about it at that point. Then so he got into college and then in grad school, I experienced property management again, but working for a big company that did a lot in East Lansing with student housing. So I worked on the leasing side a little bit, some property management, some marketing, but got a good scope of that. And then a friend of mine, a couple of years later, we did a house flip. So this was when in 2010, it was easy to find foreclosures. We found one for $40,000, $50,000, maybe decent little house. We kind of rehabbed it flipped it and made a little bit of money. So I experienced it on that side. And that was really my last exposure to real estate until I've always read about it and wanted to get a little bit involved, but I've also heard horror stories of just landlords, even around Lansing here, where they just, they get in and they want to get out of it. And uh, one case, I mean, you and I both know Ruben had bought a bunch probably back in 08, 09, maybe 2010. And they just never performed the way he wanted him to. And he's had a hard time getting rid of them. I hear those stories too, which I vowed never to, you know, I kind of know the area well enough to know which places I don't want to be investing in. It's kind of like, that's the pro and the con of a hard asset, right? Like yeah. right now, real estate, just to go back to the correlation thing, it's pretty much all assets are correlated right now, right? Mm -hmm. All going up about the amount of money that was added, you know, the amount that was printed yeah. roughly. If you take, you can compare like different assets or even different like currencies and you can see, you can kind of like overlap them. Like, like, um, what's a good example, like Bitcoin and US dollar and like yeah. US dollar and Euro. And you can kind of like skip them, right? Just like a chemistry equation. You can go from what, if A then B, B then C, and you can just do A and C. Yeah. So you can kind of like compare a lot of these different assets and they end up being like, 
if you compare them to the amount of money that was printed, the lot everything's up just like slightly above just like the printing of the money. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason we'll have to see if that continues or what they're doing. The Fed is threatening, you know, tapering and increasing yeah. rates slowly. And they kind of said specific amounts that they kind of changed after a week and they, yeah. they might actually enforce them and the market might not crash if they don't. So there's a lot of interesting things going on there, but with hard assets, you're stuck with them and they cost you something. If they're not making you money yep. or if you sell them for more than you bought them for, it's worse than having a liquid ac- asset that you can just like sell like Tesla stock tanks and you lose 30% of your money. Right. You can execute on that and, and get out before it goes down 20% more and then you would have lost half. The benefit is there's only so many hard assets in a truly, you know, in the physical world right? or some sort of digital signature world, which is the whole crypto Bitcoin. blockchain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So real estate has that pro, but I do think people forget how much that's a con. You can't sell that house. It's your house and it's worth nothing, right? Yeah. Like people don't want to pay money for it. You still own it. And guess what? You get to pay taxes on it. Yeah. At least if you have a stock that you can't sell, it doesn't cost you anything to hold it. Typically. Yes. It is. It is like there. If things really, really go south, people are going to remember how much it hurts to have hard assets that people mm-hmm. don't. Want. It's like having a business. Let's say you like sell clothing, right? And yeah. you buy just a ton of cloth or whatever, you know, you make it from and you've got all these different colors. And then two seasons later, you bought purple and nobody wants purple. You can't like beg. So you have to pay somebody to take it to the dump. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's the downside of a physical good commodity or real estate. So that's like one level larger, like just the big picture. It's, it's why I haven't gotten involved in real estate. Yeah. It's not because I don't think you can make money. And I think I should probably have some real estate. But for me, the only kind of real estate I want to have is the kind that's specifically useful to me. I want to have me as the owner occupier of the of the real estate. So when I diversify my net worth into real estate, it's going to be me owning a home. Yeah. And that's in line with my goals, right? So you got to have your written financial plan. Yeah. White Coat Investor always says, I totally agree with that. You have your written financial plan and you stick to it. And for me, my written financial plan is going to be my first real estate acquisition. Okay. It's not going to be to try to like grow my net worth. Like I said, I've lost out by not doing that, but I want it to be me owning a house in the town that I want to live in for a long time. That doesn't mean lifelong, but five years, something where you could have a 1929 level event depression and I'd be 1945 equivalent. Like I wanted to live in this house and I don't mind paying taxes on it because I bought it to live in it, you know? Right. Right. And you don't so, really care what you paid for it necessarily because it's a long term investment. Yeah. You essentially don't. It's like sort of the, I don't know if that's a millennial take on real estate. <laughs> it's a non committal take on real estate. Yeah. Oh, um, that's okay. That's what I've been thinking about. Cause I want, I would love, I think a house would be cool. Yeah. Property is nice. I like hard assets. That's why I like Bitcoin, but it's not mobile. It's not transferable. It's not mm-hmm. liquid. And that's the word I wanted to emphasize too, was illiquid versus liquid, right? Yeah. Stocks are designed to be liquid because there is somebody on a particular stock exchange that's no matter what, they're called market makers and they're creating a market to make sure there's always demand or someone to buy a particular stock. So if something is publicly traded, there's always going to be somebody to buy it for the most part. But if you hold shares of a privately owned company, there's no market for that typically. There's some real estate too. The market's got to be there. And the market 
no one has control over the real estate market. Yeah. Like Bitcoin can go to zero because it's liquid, right? You know, can meaning it's technically possible. It's because there's demand, right? Just like any stock can go to zero. But um, that's a benefit, I think. And I'd rather be in a liquid asset than an illiquid asset in general, or at least a large percentage of my, my net worth, I would rather be in be in liquid. But that's a philosophical decision, you know. When I'm 55, do I want to have most of my net worth be in illiquid assets? Not really. Yeah. It's 65, I guess I would say. 55 still kind of maybe. Depends what the world looks like. I mean... Well, and it depends if those assets are providing income for you too, right? Like what are they doing for you at the end of the day is the question. That's right. That's why people don't like Bitcoin. Or that's why traditional investors like Warren Buffett don't like it. Because they don't pay dividends. They don't pay dividends. It doesn't pay you anything. And it quote unquote, isn't a business that produces something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is, I totally understand. That's sticking to a philosophy, right? Yeah, it is. And you, that's what you should do. Um, he's been very successful and he has been not beating. I think I kind of like poo-pooed this uh, at some point when one of our talks, but he's been losing against the S&P for like years or longer, I think. Uh-huh. But he's doing it with like billions of dollars. It's really hard yeah. to do. Like yeah. the flip side is it's like easy to critique, but if you have tens or hundreds of billions of dollars and you're still able to grow it at over 10%, it's like kind of insane. Like that's really, really, really hard to do. Yeah, totally. I yeah. love those conversations of people like, well, my advisor's doing pretty well. I mean, I, uh, I got about 15%, 20% last year. And it's just, I kind of roll my eyes like, well, You'd have to be an idiot to not get 20% last year where, mm -hmm. you know, you just got to stick it in some index funds and good to go. And obviously that has no bearing in the future, but so that's kind of the pros and cons of real estate. My latest experience with real estate is. All right. This is the part you got to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so I listen to Grant Cardone sometimes who does a real estate podcast. And I've just always thought, you know, I could get into real estate. I learned enough from other people's mistakes in it that I think I could do okay. It wasn't something I was actively looking for, but something came along. And by came along, I mean a push notification from Zillow popped up on my phone. Nice. And it was like, hey, here's this um, five-unit building for cheap, like $225,000. So I was like, mm. And the other thing was, again, I would say if you're buying real estate as a rental or flip or whatever, the number one important priority is you got to know the market. Right. And so I knew if I was going to get something, I was going to buy it local where I knew the market. So this one was about five minutes away from my house. So I was like, yeah, I know that market. So I went and checked it out. Like as soon as it hit the market, my realtor and I went and saw it. And so the other realtor, the listing agent was there and the owner of the building was there, which was kind of odd, but I guess, well, I guess it made sense. They had to have a, a property manager there to let us in, I guess. It was my first time looking at a quote unquote apartment building. And so it was five units. It was this house built in 1920 that had a four units in the one house and then a small like one bedroom unit kind of by itself, like bungalow style. So I checked it out and um, walked through really just two of the units and bathrooms were nice, updated, kitchens were good, like things were taken care of pretty well. My realtor was like, yeah, you're probably gonna need a roof on that single building there. I was like, okay. And we went in the basement and it was a old unfinished basement that had some water in it, which was fine. Nobody was really doing anything down there, but he's like, yeah, you may want to look into waterproofing that. So I said, uh, it, and it had five units that were all rented. 
averaging about 500 a month each, some one bedrooms, some two bedrooms. And so at 225 with 2,500 a month coming in, that's pretty good. Okay. So I made a offer. I borrowed some money from a family member to make a cash offer just to get it. Did that offer was accepted. So we're moving forward a week later, we scheduled an inspection and I started learning things. I learned that five units and above is considered commercial. So commercial loan, commercial insurance, commercial inspection. I had to add a sewer inspection because of that, which was another 500 bucks. The inspection itself, the normal inspection was like $400. Um, so we did all that. And then I had a guy that does property management come with me and take a look at it too. So we had all these people doing this inspection. And during this inspection, the owner is never there at a house when you do this. But in this case, he was. And he was this old Greek guy in his 70s. And I found out he'd owned the place for 50 years, not exaggerating. And he looks at me and he goes, what are all these people doing here? And I was like, "These, this guy's a sewer inspector. This guy's the housing inspector. This guy's a property manager. <laughs> oh, he's like, what do you need all these people? He's like, you don't need any inspections. He's like, every building I bought, I didn't have an inspection. I just trusted my own gut. And he's like, are you Greek? And I was like, oh, I'm Italian. He's like, okay, close enough. He's like, you'll do fine. You don't need to, you don't need to have all these inspectors. I'm like, well. Okay, this is what we're doing though. So, and he just like, he wanted us to spend like 30 seconds in each unit. He was just concerned about pissing off his tenants. And so inspection went fine. There were a couple like outside exterior spots and we patched up, need a new roof, like we thought. Then the sewer inspection came back and was like, yeah, you're going to need to run a new sewer line through the house and then about 10 feet out from the house. It's like, all right. Then a few days later, a four unit, like maybe two or three blocks away, again, pops up on my phone. And I was like, hey, let's go look at this. I've learned a lot so far about this process. I also learned that a commercial loan to get this five unit place was going to be 25% down and 15, maybe 20 year term is the most that you would see and higher interest. So all this stuff just started adding up to where it's going to, a lot of things are going to cost me more than I thought. So I go to see this four unit one, which was appealing to me because I learned in the process a four unit is completely different than a five unit. Four unit is much cheaper insurance. You can get a normal mortgage. You can get like all this stuff. So we go to see this four unit one. A bunch of people had already saw it. It just hit the market. It was listed at 250. So higher a little bit than the other one, but it was nice. There was no basement. It was built on a slab. It was a lot newer. It was built in the eighties instead of the twenties. And they were four you know, two bedroom units, cookie cutter, like mirror images of each other, had a washer and dryer in them, like just nice, good shape. Three of the four rented, good long-term tenants. So even just with three rented, it was fairly profitable. My realtor was like, we got to make an offer by 7 p.m. today. And it was like five o'clock. So we go through, think about it. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we offered a little bit over asking. I knew there were some other offers on the table. And uh, I think I offered 260. And they called us the next day and they said, could you do 263? And I was like, yeah, fine, <laughs> whatever. So we got it. And then I canceled my offer and the other one basically saying like, okay, inspection, not up to par. We're going to withdraw our offer. Yeah, for sure. I actually found out a couple of days ago. That one is still in the market. Do you have a referral referral code for that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I would not do that to anybody. <laughs> um, so we go through the closing process. Inspection goes fine. We go to close and we close quickly because we use cash. I was going to then, you know, refinance and pay back this family member once I once a house is purchased. I just like to make a cash offer because you can usually either 
beat out other offers at the same dollar amount or pay less or whatever. So, so we get to closing, everything goes fine. Pretty much. That was like the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So Wednesday comes and we get the keys on Wednesday and I go in to see the empty unit and this one, they all did their own electricity, but we paid for water as the landlords. And, you know, so we're going to this thinking, my wife and I are like, we don't need a property manager. It's only four units close enough. They seem pretty easy. We can take care of this ourselves. So we wrote up this nice letter, introduced ourselves to the tenants. We bought them some pie. We dropped off a pie to each of them. Then uh, I go to this empty unit and it's freezing. Like the electricity was already shut off. And I was like, crap. So I had to call Consumers Energy. So I call them on this Wednesday at like five o'clock. They're closed. So I call first thing in the morning, but it's Thanksgiving. They're still closed. They're not going to open for another two days. So I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's here in Michigan and the nights are starting to get below freezing. And for those of you not in the Midwest or up in the North, it's like when stuff gets freezing, your water pipes can freeze, especially if there's no water moving through the pipes. When standing water freezes, it expands, pipes burst. You guys know this. So I'm freaking out thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Like I've got Thanksgiving and the Black Friday with no electricity in this unit, but water's on. <laughs> so I'm like, oh gosh. So I go over there, turn on all the faucets and all the bathtubs and like just to get water running through the pipes. And I go back like two or three times a day. And it was, I was like losing sleep. And then halfway through that day, I realized, oh my gosh, I forgot to get insurance. So I had no insurance and I can't believe I'm admitting this as a financial planner, but I forgot to get insurance. <laughs> and cause it's like every other house I bought, I had a mortgage and they make you get insurance. It's just part of the process, right? Yeah, exactly. So call, cause of the cash offer, right? Cause of the cash offer. Yeah. Cause the cash offer, nobody yeah. said get insurance. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I feel like naked exposed liable, right? Like anything could happen in this property and I could be financially screwed for the rest of my life. Like yeah. this is the day that somebody's going to slip and fall and die. And I'm going to get sued for $2 million. So I'm over there like taking salt and salting the sidewalks and just like making sure everything's fine. And it just happened to be like freezing rain that day too. So I called my insurance agent. He's like, sorry, dude, I can't help you until like Monday. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm Googling everywhere on the internet. There's got to be some insurance company that does business on even Friday. Like every store in the world is open on Black Friday, but no insurance agencies. So <laughs> it was finally Saturday morning, 9 a.m. I get a hold of Consumers Energy. They turn electricity on. Some insurance company calls me back. I'm able to bind coverage that day and I could rest a lot easier. And I then picked up the phone and called the property management company and said, yeah, I'd like to hire a property manager. I'm uh, decided <laughs> not to do this myself. So everything ended up fine, but uh, I overestimated my, a lot of things and uh, didn't take it super seriously in terms of like my realtor said, make sure you call the utilities and get those switched today. And I was like, okay, but tomorrow's probably fine too. And uh, it was not just the wrong day. Like it's the worst because it was like a four day weekend with Thanksgiving. It's the worst time to do that. So, but now yeah. we've got them and the tenants are paying rent on time. And um, we pay a property manager 10% to manage everything. And they do the leasing and record keeping and books and accounting and service and all that stuff. So, there you go. Nice. That's what I would do if it was me, but everybody's different. And I think you said too when you were telling me about it initially, like right after Thanksgiving. You said there's different, I mean, I know that there are too, there's, there's different rates that people charge. Some of them, well, didn't somebody try to charge you a deal where like they got a percentage of the sale or something like the Yes, profit. They wanted like 3% of the sale price. If That's I ever sold it, 
crazy. And they're like, well, it's because, you know, we have to do a lot to get ready to sell and we help you sell it and show it and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, 3%. That's what a real estate agent makes after all their like training and work and showing people. Yeah, if I sold it for 300000 that's $9,000. That is the clause that keeps them in business, if I was to guess. Gosh, well, they didn't get my business, so I went to a different property manager. Amazing. So yeah, read the fine print with everything. It's like very annoying, but very true. Yeah, there you go, kids. So hope that helps. Cash offer that really got you. It's it's interesting how, <laughs> you know, it's just funny because it's, uh, I would have never thought of that. I mean, and we do get handheld a lot, like in the US, especially financially. Yeah. We're really fortunate to be here. Yeah. Because, you know, things are so regulated and mm-hmm. controlled. And like, yeah, it's kind of annoying in some businesses. And yeah, we don't like to be controlled by the government, but there are a ton of things in place to protect the consumer. Well, sure. As an advisor, like I have to get errors and omissions insurance and I have to get a surety bond. Yeah. Like that's all stuff I have to get. And it's to my benefit. Yeah. But it's also it, to the consumer's benefit, right? So it's like, yeah. that's funny. it is, it is. I know I, and I'm somebody, I don't like that kind of stuff, but yeah. Is often there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like you as a doctor, employers won't hire you a lot of times unless you have tail coverage. If you had a, yeah. Um, claims based or um policy you know all that kind of stuff so that kind of thing so yeah all right that, well that reminds me i need to get uh, a paper copy <laughs> of the, the tail that was paid because it's in my con like i put that in my my last contract was yeah made sure to negotiate that the tail would be paid by the practice that that had me there it's actually not it's not too expensive it's ex- that's one of those things that gets expensive if you've been working for like five to ten years mm. Yeah, for sure. For shorter periods of time, like I basically, I did a locums position with an optionality to, to change mm-hmm. to permanent. And then I elected not to do that. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being a pretty short period of time for locums and that goes into account. But it was a good reminder because I need to get that in paper and put it in my files. Yep. There you go. Well, glad I could you know, see it's these little things. That <laughs> yeah. Reminder. Yeah. Insurance. There's always more things to insure. It seems like, right. There's more things to be thorough on no matter what. Absolutely. But I'm a big believer in that. I mean, we have the errors and emissions. We have cybersecurity insurance. We got like any, I don't, you know, identity theft. Right. Right. You can get the tax thing you pay for that. Make sure you get it all back and they help Mm -hmm. you with it. Yep. I'm good with that. that. Well, all right. That's uh, I think we gave him a lot of stuff, Trevor. Yeah, that was great. Good catching up with you as always. Yeah, you too. Talk to you soon. Thanks to our listeners. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out the Financial MD community on Facebook if you like what you hear here. A lot of discussion happening there. And if you want more videos, get us on TikTok and Instagram. And if you want portrait mode, shorter. Or if you like the landscape view, go to YouTube and Facebook and no shortage of stuff there. So hit us up if you've got questions on anything we've talked about in any episode, financialmd.com. Take care, guys. We'll see you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks for joining us for another Financial MD show. Be sure to head over to financialmd.com to get more in-depth resources on financial tips for physicians. And don't forget to join the Financial MD community group on Facebook, where physicians at all stages of their career gather to share tips and get ideas on achieving true financial success. We'll see you next time. The Financial MD Show is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to invest, is not financial, tax, or legal advice.
Be sure to seek financial, legal, or tax professionals when making any financial decisions. Before investing, you should make sure that any investment strategy or investment meets your individual investment needs, goals, and objectives. FinancialMD makes no claims or guarantees to individual investment performance. All investing involves the risk of loss as well as the potential for gain.